Well, if you'd like to turn in the book of Hebrews, we're continuing our studies. If you just glance a few pages, we're kind of getting towards the end, but there's still quite a lot to go. Because as he comes to the end of the book, he's really summarizing what's come before and illustrating. And so that's where we are now in this whole book, is he's illustrating to us what faith looks like in action as he looks to the heroes, the faith heroes of the past. And so let's see what he says to us. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read the first seven verses together and look at them this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In 2000, uh, Hollywood produced a movie called Keeping the Faith. I don't know if anyone's seen that. But in it, uh, one of the main characters, Father Finn, speaks to his congregation. And this is his definition of faith. Faith is a feeling. Faith is a hunch that there is something bigger connecting us all together. My friend, I tell you, if faith was just a hunch, I wouldn't direct my whole life by it. Because what if I was wrong? But that's the world's definition of what faith is. It's that feeling that everything will turn out all right. Scripture says the opposite. Scripture defines faith. Scripture says that faith is the opposite of apostasy. Now we've been looking at that. Apostasy is walking away from God. But faith walks to God. Faith walks to God and so faith endures. So faith is an action. It's not just what you feel. It's not just what you believe. Faith is an action as a result of what you believe. And this chapter, chapter 11, is often read as a motivational chapter. When you're feeling down and depressed, you go and read about the heroes of faith. But it should, and that's fine, but it shouldn't be read in isolation. Because it follows on and builds, it follows on and builds on what has come before. 
And what was that? And we've been looking at that. We've been looking at what it means to have faith and what it means to obtain life. And now the writer to the Hebrews gives us the so what. The practical application of faith in human clothes. And he gives us examples. He shows us what it means to have faith by examining the faith of various people throughout history and scripture. So what can we learn from them? And how can we be encouraged in our own application of faith? That's the point of the whole exercise today. So the writer to Hebrews is calling struggling Christians like you and I, sometimes bumbling Christians like you and I, to live holy lives, faithful lives. He calls us with all our habits and our warts, our hang-ups and our worries, he calls us to action. We are called to step out of step with the world, to hop up on the stage of history, Yes, you, me, and to take our place in God's roll call of the faithful. And of course we are inadequate. I don't want to step up on the stage of history. Of course we feel inadequate, but so have all the others who stepped up onto the stage of history. Because what they evidenced and showed was the grace of God at work. And so you too can step into the grace of God through faith. And if we don't, and if we are afraid, then it's not grace at work, is it? So let's look at this. What is faith? And if I was a writer to the Hebrews, I would have done this differently, but I'm not. I would have put the definition of faith right at the beginning of the chapter. But he's worked through to the definition and it's a really good definition of faith. And it gives us a definition of faith, verses 1 to 3, in two parts. There are two parts to this faith that he describes. Let's see what he says. And I'm going to be spending the majority of my time in the first three verses because it's the crux of everything. And then we're going to look at the illustrations. So you really need to concentrate with me through these first three verses. So what is faith? He says, here's the definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So you notice there's two parts there. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The literal word or phrase here for assurance is the title deed. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. I'll expand on that. And... It's the secondly, the conviction of things not seen. Literal translation of conviction, it is the proof. It's the proof which stands under what appears. There's something underneath what appears. That's the conviction. And we're going to see what that's based on. What is that based on? The conviction of the underlying reality of appearances is God's promises and his character. Underneath what I see happening in life, in your life and my life, are God's promises and his character. So, faith gives us the, the assurance, the title deed to those promises that God has made for us. What do I mean by that? Well, you see, when God makes his promises, it means 
that he gives them to us and he assures that they will happen. And then he says, now come and get them from me. The old, uh, they've misused this phrase, name them and claim them. There's parameters around that phrase, but though. But God has made you promises, you can believe them, you can stand on them. And he himself, by his character, says, I will make sure these things that I promised you will happen. He's given us the title deeds to his promises. Do you get that? It's your inheritance and mine. And so faith is, faith is the proof of the reality of things not seen. It's so much more than a hunch. Faith is action. Faith is man's response to what God has said alone. I'll repeat that. Faith is hearing what God has said and then believing Him at His word. That's faith. It's an action. You've got to believe and then obey. You see, here's the first characteristic of what faith is. True faith accepts God's word. Do you accept God and his word? True faith takes seriously the message of God's revealed truth. We don't just gloss through the word. True faith does not make excuses and try to avoid the truth by one-eyed sloppy application so that there's always room to maneuver. God's word says this and I say, yeah, but. Sloppy application. I need space to maneuver. That's not what true faith is. God reveals his truth. God reveals his wisdom. God reveals his demands to us, his promises. And true faith says, yes, I believe you, God. And in return for exercising that true faith, we receive something. What is that? We receive this title deed that goes with such faith, and it's called assurance. If you take God at his word, you believe what he says immediately, you put it into action, he gives you the title deed of his promises. It's assurance of faith. You will not doubt that you believe. You will not doubt who God is. You will take him at his word, and that will be the foundation of your life. And therefore, my assurance rests in what God has said, not just for my present, but for my future too. You still staying with me? And therefore, I'm convicted, and my conviction translate, translates into present-day obedience and trust. You see, obeying, um, trusting God is not just a theoretical application of the Word. Trusting God is a practical application of God's Word with my feet. And it's not just for the future, hope of the future. It applies to life now, right now. God's word is application for our lives today, not just for the future. And so I see with eyes of faith, are you listening? I see with eyes of faith, but I obey with feet of flesh today. That's true faith. It's an action. And yes, I anticipate the future, even though I can't see the answers now. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, says my definition. I stand today in the hope that God gives me for life today, but I look to the future and know that God will not change 
I can trust him at his word. He will be there as well. And therefore, I evaluate the present in light of my future faith. You see, without true faith, I tend to live a temporary and sensual existence. I tend to give in to every woman temptation that comes my way, giving no regard to consequences or the damage or hurt I cause others. It's because my faith isn't what it should be. I'm just seeing faith today. I'm not seeing what's going to happen later. And therefore, faith is the act of commitment on the part of the believer, whereas hope is the state of mind which we possess. I'll repeat that too. There's so much condensed truth here. Faith provides a platform for hope and a certainty of that which is yet unseen. Faith provides a platform for hope. And a certainty of that which is yet unseen. We have faith in the here and now, knowing that God is control of the as yet unseen. And therefore, the man or woman of faith is not governed by circumstances. What have circumstances got to do with faith? Circumstances have got everything to do with what God has said about me. You see, we look into circumstances and we discern with the eye of faith the activity of the invisible and the living God in that situation. We look for it. Where do we look for it? We look for truth that's coming our way. We base what we're looking at on the truth God has already revealed to us in His Word, and that truth should color in the situation. I said to you, there's a lot of concentrated stuff here. And therefore, as if we look for that truth that God has revealed to us, we are able to act with confidence. And therefore, we can have, here it is, we've got there, we can have endurance. We're heading there. Endurance. That's what it's all about, the book of Hebrews. How to endure. So I'll give you an example. And it's an example that many people face. You might be facing the specter of cancer in your life. Or it could be something massive too. Your faith says, trust God now in this situation. He will hold you through your day-to-day struggles. Leave the as yet unseen future to Him. He'll be there too. You have hope now and a future. And it's in Him. He has told you he will never leave you or forsake you. Moses said that to Joshua. as Joshua was about to take over control uh, or take command of the nation of Israel and fight, fight how many other enemies. He said, it is the Lord who goes before you, Joshua. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You see, we quite quickly give in to fear and dismay because we allow ourselves to be ruled by circumstances. And it's not our eyes of faith looking at them. Second definition of, uh, part of this definition of faith is that it not only takes God at His word, but it says that only true faith wins God's approval, verse 2. You see, God only commends a certain type of faith. By exercising this kind of true faith, 
the men and women of old gained what matters most. They gained the commendation, the approval of God. They responded to God's word immediately and without question, and God honored them for that. And it's the only type of faith which God approves, unquestioning and trusting faith. So how can we be so trusting and filled with faith? It rests on the third part of what we're looking at in verse 3. It says, because true faith recognizes God's power. How can I trust God? How can I have a hope for the future? It is because of God's power. It's because of who He is. Our verse says, by faith we understand that the world was created by the word of God. Glance back at chapter 1. Verse 10 to 12. Just go back there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. Remember, we looked at this. When the writer to the Hebrews started drawing for us who Jesus is. And he reminded us that Jesus was there at the creation of the world. Verse 10 of chapter 1. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And he's quoting here from Psalm 102. You were there, Lord, when you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The God of power was there at the beginning. The God of power will be there at the end, whatever that is, because the end is eternity. And so God states in his word that he pre-existed the creation and that he is the creator of everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then it expands on that statement. Now you either accept that statement or you reject that statement. You either take God at his word or you put ifs and buts in or insinuating queries. You said you created everything by the word of your mouth, stars, galaxies, and every living thing in their variety of forms, sizes, complexities. You said, you spoke, they came into existence from nothing. You either accept that or you walk away from it and hold on to all kinds of other theories. Theory of evolution. Theory of a long existence of a long evolution, not a literal evolution, a literal creation. You see, it's only by faith that we can accept this astonishing statement that the visible came forth from the invisible when God spoke it. You have to have faith to believe that. And what's the consequences of such faith? You see, as a result, true faith recognizes God's same power when life overcomes us with seemingly stellar-sized problems. True faith says to us, God, if you could create galaxies, then my circumstances are small when they place in the hands of Creator God. You see, there's practical application of this faith in God's power. And so our prayer should be this morning, just reading verses 1 to 3, it should be, Lord, give me eyes of faith. I want to see the world. I want to see you with eyes of faith so that my feet will follow. 
So what does practical faith look like in human form? He's going to put clothes on this faith now. He's going to give us examples of real men and women who lived in history and who had true faith because they took God at His word and recognized His power. And so he commends this faith by listing their names in His revealed word. Imagine. I've looked through, but I haven't found my name yet. David's name's in there, though. Not this one. Another one. But imagine with your name being recorded in God's word by God himself. Let's look at some of these characters, and we'll go through this quite quickly. You all know your Old Testament very well, so here we go. Abel, who was Abel? Abel, says verses 4 to 7, had a heart for God. You can read all about him tonight uh, when you go home. This afternoon after lunch, just have your little sleep, and then go and read about this. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Go and read about Abel. Seven verses. It won't take you long. Who was Abel? He was Adam's son. How did he show faith? Because remember, they had a limited knowledge of God then. He only had what God had revealed to Adam and what Adam had told him. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Torah. They had nothing else. Only what had been revealed to them at that stage. So Abel had a limited knowledge of God. And yet, he offered an acceptable sacrifice to God. Now, it's often thought that this sacrifice was acceptable because it was a blood offering. And Cain brought a grain offering. And so God said yes to the blood offering and no to the grain offering. That's not what the text says. It's not about the blood. Yes, there were wider implications because of the theological truth that we learn later about blood. But that wasn't what it was about in Abel's heart, in Abel's life. It was about his heart. How do we know that? Because Jesus explains that in Matthew 23, 35. When he says to the Pharisees, it was Abel's heart condition before God. That was right. You Pharisees have got a wrong condition of heart before God. 1 John 3 verse 12 explains that Cain could not overcome the sin in his heart. And that's why God rejected his grain offering. It wasn't about the grain offering. It was about a heart that was wrong. And that's why even though Abel was murdered by his brother Cain, his life still speaks to us today from God's word. And he says to you and I, is your outward offering of worship your money, your service to God, a genuine expression of love and commitment as seen in your heart. What does your heart say to God? Is your heart given to Him? You see, Cain, um, Abel's heart was directed to God. Here's a second lesson for us with Enoch, another famous dead guy. Who was Enoch? says Enoch maintained his walk with God, verse 5. Go and look at the verse there. It's a really interesting verse. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Mm. So who was Enoch? Well, he was Cain's son. So we had Adam's son was Cain. Cain's son was Enoch. You staying with us? All right, this is the easy part. He was also Adam's great-great-great-great-grandson. I did go and count. He was Noah's great-great-grandfather. And he was the father of Methuselah. Famous Methuselah. 
lived, the longest man who ever lived, 969 years. Imagine. 69 years is... And then it says he lived for, this Enoch lived for 365 years before God took him away. And of the 365 years, for 300 of those 365 years, he lived faithfully before God. We presume he got to know God after age 65. 300 years he lived faithfully before God. He walked in close fellowship with God. Why was that so amazing? Because if you go and look at the history, he was living among a depraved society. And they were shortly, in, in a couple of generations, they were going to be destroyed. Why? Because Noah was going to be born. And so he lived among this depraved society. But he didn't conform to his society. He walked in close fellowship with God for 300 years. You see, he was in for the long haul. And so he walked with God day after day, a daily reliance on God. I've been walking with the Lord for 40-something years. It's nothing like 300. It's a long way to go. A daily reliance on God, a day after day walk with God. You see, he was a faithful man living and persevering in a wicked society. What's different? In our secular society today, because of our general preoccupation with material things, it's very easy for us too to ignore God's existence because of our own self-sufficiency, isn't it? If I need it, I buy it. Or I save up and buy it. I can help myself. And it's very common for us to overlook God's grace because of our self-centeredness. Enoch didn't. He walked with God step by step, day by day, and he got through 300 years, and then the Lord took him. He didn't die. The Lord just took him. As they were walking, the Lord said, come, let's go. That's amazing. Now, that's not all about Enoch. We learn later that Enoch also prophesied about God's judgment. Did you know that he was a prophet? And he could foresee the future. And he spoke about God's judgment, which wasn't going to come through nowhere. He spoke about another judgment to come. The one that's still waiting for us. Wow. That's way back in history now. Jude chapter 1, verse 14 to 16. I'll read that for you very quickly, just so that you know I'm not making this up. Jude chapter 1, verse 14 to 16. Oh, there's only one chapter, by the way, but I thought I'd write chapter 1. All right. Jude 14 to 16. It was, about, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And so he carries on. There is a judgment coming, said Enoch. Thousands of years ago. Because God showed him as they were walking. 
And then thirdly, there's Noah. And I'm jumping a little bit ahead now because Noah you'll find in verse 7. I haven't forgotten about verse 6. We'll come to it. What about Noah? Noah? Noah gave his obedience to the Lord. So what have we seen? We've seen that Abel had a heart for God. We've seen that Enoch maintained his daily walk with God. And Noah gave his obedience to God. You see, in the time of Noah, the limited number of people on the earth, it was only six generations from Adam, they were so wicked that the Bible says here in Genesis 6.6 6, that God was sorry he had made them. And he wanted to destroy them. And he determined to destroy them. However, one man and his family, amongst all this unfaithfulness, they remained faithful to the Lord. And the Lord was going to, to save them. And the Lord resolved to do that too. And so Noah heard God's word to him. And immediately and unquestioningly, Noah obeyed God. Despite God's instructions to him being about some future unseen event, and despite it sounding impossible, what did God say? Hey, Noah, you're living in Mesopotamia, in a desert, arid part of the country. I want you to build me an ark. What's an ark, Lord? It's a boat, Noah, a big one. And the Lord carries on giving these instructions. And I imagine Noah must have stood there listening to this mouth open at this stage. Because it was going to take a long time. You don't just build it overnight. It sounded impossible. In the middle of a dry land. They probably didn't know much about rain at that stage yet. And flood the world. What's it? But Noah believed God. And then Noah did the second thing. He told people about it. And guess what people did? They laughed. More than that, the Bible says they ridiculed him, made fun of him. Not just one day, day after day after day, hammer blow after hammer blow. As he put that ark up, as that construction took place, people stood there laughing at him. You lost it, bro. Dementia set in early. They ridiculed him, but God had said it. So Noah did it. <laughs> and so God commends him for his faith, despite humans' ridicule. You see, Noah was by name, no means, a, God didn't go look for a perfect guy and say, um, yeah, that guy, he's a good guy. I'm going to use him now. Noah was an average man, like you and I. Woman, that's you included, by the way. He made mistakes. He was not perfect. If you see later in his history, he got drunk. And he got naked when he shouldn't have been. He was not a perfect guy. And yet God used this imperfect man to save a whole faithful remnant of the entire humanity. So that the line of the Messiah would be preserved. And through his obedience, Noah did something else. By going out and obeying God, Noah forced the people around him to make a decision about God. You either believe what God has said, people. You either believe that God said, I must build this boat, and that one day judgment is coming, or you turn your backs and you laugh at me and you walk away. By his obedience, he was causing people's destruction. You see what the text says? 
And so they heard his pleadings day by day. They saw his message every day. It wasn't a small message. It was an arc-sized message. They saw his daily obedience as he carried on, plodding away, building this ark. They saw his actions, and they saw it as folly, and they turned their backs on God, thereby condemning themselves to destruction. It wasn't Noah's fault. He tried very hard. He put up an illustration. He said, God's going to do this. You need to listen to me. And then he showed them day by day. He pleaded with them, says Scripture, to listen to what God had said. And yet they walked away. Whose fault is it? Not Noah's. It's the people's. And it's the same today. Pleadings will come out from God's Word. Hopefully in churches every single Sunday, come to Jesus Christ and be saved. You can't come to Jesus Christ any other way than by faith. You can't face eternity without Jesus Christ. That message will go out and it will go out. And yet people will turn and walk away. Who's to blame? Not the people. Yes, I know they've got darkened eyes. Yes, I know the Spirit has to open the eyes. We know all that. But it's their decision in the end that makes them turn away from the living God. And so there's something else about Noah we see. It says, fifthly, that by his obedience, Noah became the possessor of righteousness. He came in to claim that right to God's promises. And he was declared right with God, which is a gift from God. And it is to you and I. And so the question to you and I as believers as a result of these three characters is, do you dare to be a Noah, an Abel, an Enoch in your society today? In other words, are you willing to put your faith into action? Are you willing to take God at his word? That's a so what, you see, because we've got to verse 6. And that's the application of this truth. What does it say, verse 6? And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here's my application, three points for you. Firstly, action without faith cannot please God. Abel shows us he gave God his heart. Sacrifice wasn't what God was looking at, it was his heart. Enoch recognized who God was by showing a daily reliance on God. And in faith, instead of, he was showing his faith in God instead of in his conformity to society. Noah placed his faith in God's hands. He believed God at his word immediately, unquestioningly, and with continued obedience. And it didn't matter whether the situation seemed impossible, he obeyed. So action without faith cannot please God. What are you bringing before God? A heart that is right before Him? That's all that God will accept. Secondly, God can only be approached if you acknowledge who He is. You see, these people, they, these three characters, they all believe that God existed. So do demons. But they're not going to be saved. Why? Because there is no faith. You can only approach if you acknowledge who God is. If 
the belief moves out of an abstract theological concept in my thinking to my heart, to my feet. As we start assenting who God is, as we live before God, so that we know before God we cannot exist without Him in our everyday lives. And this expression of faith is then allowed to come, allows me to come before Him and to live before the face of God. And so my message to you this morning is, my friend, if you're not a believer yet, if you want, God to, if you want to come to God, you must acknowledge and recognize who He is. He is God alone. There is no other way to, be, to live a right life. There is no other way to come into eternity. You must come to God on His terms. You need to bow your heart to Him. You need to submit yourself to Him completely. You need to trust Him. And yes, it's going to be a leap of faith. But it's a leap of faith based on what He has said. He has done and who He is. It's an act of giving of yourself to Him fully. And without that step of obedience, you cannot be born again. It's impossible. And what is the result of trusting Him in this way? It says, thirdly, He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So if you're looking for God, God has promised that you will find Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek Me and find Me when? When you seek me with all your heart. Maybe you are searching in life for answers. Maybe you are searching in life for who is the true God. Is Christianity the right way to go? My friend, I would say to you, if you seek God, you will find him. He has promised you. He will meet with you. You will know him. So carry on seeking. And to a believer, if you're a believer... Your faith rests in God, despite what the world may say and demand of you, despite what you may be experiencing in life. And then he has promised through this passage and others that he will reward you because you seek him. He will reward you because you seek him. And if you are not satisfied with just knowing God at a distance, then continue to seek Him with diligence. Continue to seek Him with persistence as you get to know Him. How? By reading about Him in His Word. And as you spend time with, you, with Him in His Word, He reveals Himself to you through His Word. And this God of the Bible here becomes a living God in your heart. You will experience a living relationship with Him, which will enable you to walk your daily walk with God like Abel did. Like Noah did, like Enoch did. And as you spend time with him, you learn about him, you take him at his word, you're convicted by that word, and you trust him fully. And this almighty God who could flood the whole world and yet look after his own promises that he himself will be your reward. God himself will be your reward. Think of that. What is your inheritance? It's not a what. It's a who. Who is your inheritance? God himself. He lives with me. I live with him. He walks with me into eternity forever and ever. And therefore, persevere in your faith in him. Keep walking with him. Trust. Put your faith in him. What does this real faith look like? And I promise you I'm not going to preach on this. I'm just going to illustrate it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. This is what it looks like with shoes on. 
faith with shoes on, as the Apostle Paul expressed himself. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is loss. For his sake, says Paul, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain that resurrection from the dead. Christ, at all cost, lived out every day. That's true faith. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer this morning is increase my hunger after you. Lord, teach me what real faith is. Teach me what real faith does. But more than that, Lord, speak to my intellect. Grow real faith in me, Lord, as your precious gift to me. Teach me to walk in this present world with a firm conviction of how things will be in the world to come. I rest my faith in you alone, Lord Jesus. Amen.